slides. I'll get my clicker out before I forget. Uh, there's an outline on, uh, online at go.swec.org.au forward slash outlines. Apologies if there's any spelling errors. Not my strongest suit. <laughs> right, so I just think it's excellent that we can be at church today together. And something that I um, yeah, feel blessed at is it's, it's the fact that we can come to church today safely and openly as Christians in a country that we can openly confess our, our faith in Christ in. There's no greater privilege than being able to come on a Sunday and dive into God's word together and into, uh, more into God's amazing story, which he's given us to study, but also to partake in. And that's something that I want to um, touch on today is that we are a part of God's story going forward as followers of Jesus. So um, just let me pray for us as, as I, as I uh, guide us through today's passage. Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, word that you have given us today. Thank you that your word carries to us truth, which is more certain and life-giving than anything else. We ask that you lead us now in thought as we digest the words of Luke about the Acts of the Apostles. Please help me now speak clearly and guide me as I guide our family here today through your word. In your son Jesus' name, amen. So at the beginning of uh, a trip that I was recently on in the Northern Spice Islands, there'll be uh, more detail about that after, after lunch, so if you wanna hear more about that, stick around. I was about to launch out from the provincial capital of the area down to a more remote group of islands. The Spice Islands is a vast array of islands, about 3,000 islands, where there's lots of unreached people groups. And God's put that area on my heart uh, for a long time now. And while I was preparing to launch out the following day, I caught wind that there was a, a church house, a house church movement that were focused on discipling Muslims in this island um, capital, the city of the, is the capital of this region, and I, no one that I had contacts with, any of my expat missionary co-workers, had any clue that this existed, so it was really exciting, so I went and, and checked it out, and I bumped into a guy called James. Now, James is, was, was really impressed me for a whole bunch of reasons. He is from a Christian minority group within the province, and not only is he from a Christian minority group, that, that's significant, I'll explain why, uh, but he is also from a really, really poor background. James's uh, people group were, uh, were persecuted during the late 90s and, uh, to 2002, and one of the effects of that persecution is it really hardened the attitude of Christians in the area towards the Muslim people groups there. But here's James and his wife that were there in the city committed to reaching out to Muslims. And it just, it was something that I, I was, wow, I didn't expect that. Um, and not only was that impressive to me, but also uh, James's passion and zeal for, for gospel mission amongst Muslims, despite being someone that never had any sort of access to formal Bible training or education. James hadn't, you know, didn't have the privilege to go to a Bible college or have any, any agencies, mission agencies that had gone and done training with him. And in addition to that, um, despite James having the same sort of concerns that we do when we think about God's missions, about how am I going to provide for myself, how am I going to provide for my wife and kids, 
his source of, of courage, and he pointed this out to me consistently, was that God is sovereign and he's, he loves me and my family infinitely more than I could possibly love my family. So that's the, that's the basis of how we can be bold for the gospel, how we can be courageous for the gospel. And as we look at today's passage, I hope you can, you can see that theme unfolding in, today's, uh, in, today, uh, in our passage today. So when the apostles met the risen Christ, they were transformed and empowered um, with boldness to proclaim the gospel of the risen King, the risen King Jesus. Before the outpouring of the Spirit and the, uh, the day of Pentecost, we, we see the, the apostles as fairly timid, hiding in the upper room and waiting, waiting for something to happen. But after the, the day of Pentecost, they were fearful and timid no more and went forward into God's mission proclaiming the resurrection um, fearlessly and, and to, to all peoples who would listen. The apostles at Pentecost witnessed the power of the Holy Spirit and changed them forever. This change enabled them to stand against the Jewish leaders initially and later against Roman persecution, where they refused to cease preaching the gospel of the risen king. The boldness we too can share in, and this is what I want to emphasize today, is when we read the courage, about the courage of, the, of the apostles in Acts, it's not just them who can possess that courage, because we possess the same spirit. The boldness that we too can share in comes from our transformation and our new nature that is brought about through our salvation and regeneration, um, through the process of us becoming more and more Christ-like, sanctification. As the gospel transforms Christians, they are given the Holy Spirit and filled with its wisdom and guidance. So let's look at um, the first three verses. The first three verses bring us to the beginning of the early church, Two important things to take note of is that Peter and John, who are kind of the main characters today, were teaching, the, uh, teaching and leading the people, proclaiming the resurrection in and around the temple. And not only are they teaching and preaching the resurrection, the apostolic message, they are also, um, this, this section, these, these first three to four verses, marks the beginning of the persecution of the early church. A characteristic of the apostolic message um, in the early church to Jews and Gentiles was that resurrection was always proclaimed. In our list of figures present at the uh, listening to Peter and John at the temple were the high priest, the temple guard, Pharisees, and importantly, the Sadducees. So why should we take note of the Sadducees? The Sadducees had become highly influential in the, um, the, the roles around the temple and in Jerusalem in the first century. They came from a tradition of rabbinic Judaism that didn't uh, believe in or ed, ed, preach or teach on anything past the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. And implicit in this is the belief that they rejected the notion of resurrection. So here you have a, a group of people that are proclaiming that the Messiah who they had just had crucified had risen from the dead, Messiah meaning king, a very important title in Judaism, and that he had been walking around with them 
and encouraging them in their faith. And they, they were preaching and teaching and starting a movement of a messianic movement about this risen Messiah in the temple grounds. It says that their numbers of believers to be added after um, the, in, in, this, uh, in this passage were up to 5,000 men. Luke mentions 5,000 men. Luke is normally really meticulous about his details. I wish he mentioned how many women and children were there too because if you included it all together, there would be way more than 5,000 people all around the temple. You can just imagine the commotion and the scenes and understandably why the passage says that the, uh, the religious leaders were greatly disturbed. At verse 3, um, when Peter and John are seized upon and thrown in jail because they are the ones leading this movement, something that's seen as an existential threat by the religious authorities, this marks the beginning of persecution. Now, persecution is a theme, uh, one of many, but an important theme throughout the book of Acts. And this is a persecution Jew on Jew. Uh, the Judean persecution. But as we follow the progression of the, of the book um, throughout the rest of Acts, we see the, the persecution starts to heat up and uh, gradually starts to scatter the, the early church, which we can, we can say, wow, that was costly. That must have been horrible. But we have to acknowledge that God had, God's plan was at work through that persecution and that he always seems to use persecution events for the gospel to go out. Acts 1.8, if you, um, for, for a minute, want to turn to it, I would say is the summary statement or the thesis, you could say, of the book of Acts. And it's that the people of God would go out and make disciples of all nations, starting in um, Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the ends of, ends of the earth. And from the, this persecution moment, we can just see that this is starting to happen. So with the persecution starting here, and then up into Acts 8, we see that the persecution changes over to the Romans being the ones that are hounding these messianic followers. Um, the persecution doesn't just stop here though at Acts, it's continued on until today. And this is uh, something I'd like to challenge you guys to think about is, are there persecuted believers around the world that are on your heart? I think on the theme of prayer, which Marshall mentioned earlier, um, that's something that we can pray into more and intercede for more, the persecuted church. Um, it's something I'm feeling challenged at the moment to put more into my, into my prayer life. So verse 7, um, we'll skip forward to verse 7, we see um, a setup question, which I think is, is, is really interesting for what Peter and John are about to demonstrate about being bold and courageous for the gospel. The religious leaders first ask them a setup question about whose authority, under what name are you teaching and preaching and performing these miracles? I imagine after a, a day in in jail, and they get this question, <laughs> Peter and John must have been frothing over, oh man, this is a, a great opportunity to start to, to start to share exactly who uh, we trust in, who our message is, uh, what it is, and, and by whose power we're, 
were uh, healing people with and who was resurrected. They had, um, well, let's, let's read that together. It says, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power and what name did you do this? Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom crucified, um, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the, the stone you build as rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter and John's response to the religious courts leads us to see how missional boldness starts with being submitted to the Holy Spirit. So that begs an important question for, for us. In that, I'm not sure if you've ever also considered this and wrestled with this. It's an important question to wrestle with. How are we meant to be filled by the Holy Spirit? The fact, the fact is that people that have not been saved can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something that happens after salvation. It's actually being filled by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit is the default position for a true believer, someone who is humble, a broken, selfless, an impotent, weak believer that is facing a dire situation that realizes that they need a savior, that in our own strength, we can't trust ourselves, that we cannot lean on our own competency. So it's when you are feeling your weakest, and you're feeling led, though, to stand for the gospel, to share it with another person, that you can be filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Let's just take a second to, to listen to 2 Corinthians 12. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in, my, in weakness. So it's by simply yielding to the Holy Spirit. You can do this by saying, Holy Spirit, empower me. Fill me. Are you praying these prayers? Holy Spirit, do what Jesus said would happen. Holy Spirit, give me the words to say. When you are, sending your, uh, when you are sensing yourself being led to share Christ with someone, remember first that Peter and John decided we're going to yield to the Holy Spirit first. This is about trust. Jesus promised to be with us and currently is in heaven interceding for us. And we'll be doing that for you too. He promises that he will be, walk with us and be with us. I think this doesn't just apply to our own personal evangelism and our own call to be witnesses in the workplace, witnesses with your neighbor. But this also applies for us who are feeling that sense of calling in the Great Commission, but are feeling also tentative about it, that step of faith into what God has for you. There are so many obstacles in mission, especially when we're thinking about what it takes to go and reach the unreached uh, in, in places where the gospel's never gone before. If you start to count the cost, which is incredibly important, we, it, it, by human standards, will quickly see that, wow, this doesn't make sense. 
It is only by God that we can be doing this. So how do we therefore handle our fear and trepidation towards stepping forward in faith for the Great Commission? Again, be be submissive and spirit-filled. Because of God's sovereignty, his control over our circumstances, we can take courage and comfort first in that. It's an opportunity to be obedient when we feel these trials and tribulations that at all costs we must surrender and obey Christ to step out and share the gospel. We can also do this by binding ourselves together with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, with other believers, and to praise the Lord for his purposes and providences in it all. I'd also like to challenge you as you hear this to be thinking about people in your life, in your inner circle, your relatives, your friends who don't know Jesus yet. God's put you in their life for a reason. Something that I like to do is to create small lists, sometimes up to just five people, and to just start praying for them. And you'd be amazed to see what sort of doors open up, uh, opportunities open up for that. So if thinking about going to the unreached is just, wow, that's, that's so far off, and I don't know if that's me, it does start with your immediate relationships. So let's move forward um, in the passage, and we get to what I would say would be my, one of my favorite parts of of the passage, um, especially verse 13. Now, why do I like verse 13? Because it makes us realize that we don't need to be, um, I was going to say George Whitfield, but I meant, I meant to say Hudson Taylor. I don't know why George Whitfield came to my mind. We don't need to be Pauls or Hudson Taylors, super missionaries to be participating in God's, um, in God's plan for the nations in the Great Commission. We can see in verse 13 that the people um, there at the, at the temple who have, who have uh, brought Peter and John before them, that they're not necessarily upset at the message that they're preaching. I'd say, yes, they, they would be upset, but it's specifically mentioned that they're upset because these are just ordinary men, unschooled men that are leading this messianic movement, leading this movement to the nations, the fulfillment of all this Old Testament um, scripture and promises. Now, I don't know about you, but some, sometimes I feel, I feel weak and not equipped enough. I wonder if, oh, are, my, are my grades and my essays at SNBC good enough? Should I be up here today? But the answer is that God uses us in our weakness and delights in in people like Peter and John, who are tradies from Galilee. They haven't been to SNBC and Moore College. Sorry if that example didn't exactly land. <laughs> yeah. God was about to explode the kingdom to go across the world, and he was using these guys for his kingdom to be um, built off. So that should give us confidence that despite what we think is flaws and things that we, God can't use us, yes, he can. It's that heart that says, God, I'll put my hand up. I'm scared, but I'll put my hand up. That's the attitude that we should have. The fact is that the mission as well is not about us. The mission is never about us. It's not about our strategy. 
It's not about, it's not about our methodology, uh, how, how well we share the gospel. It's always about what God um, can do and that he will be glorified in the end. And I'm, I'm sometimes asking God those questions. Why can't you just do it? Why do you need to partner with us when we slow things down? We often get in the way of your plans for, for the nations. Uh, but the fact is that, he has, that this is his chosen way, and he, he chooses us to, to be partners with. And that should blow up our minds, that we are glorifying God. He has been glorified through the Great Commission, but he chooses to glorify us as well. That blows my mind and, and humbles me. So we'll just go towards the, the end of our passage today, so from verses 23 to 31. Our passage concludes with Peter and John, uh, John, John returning to the, the believers who had um, been added to their, their increasing number after being held uh, before the Sanhedrin, the religious courts. And if you, if you look at what the Sanhedrin said to, to Peter and John and warned them about continuing in the way they were continuing, proclaiming the message of the resurrected king, the gospel, the message coming back to church, back to the, the body of believers, was one that uh, would have been quite scary. There's impending hardships that are going to come if we continue in this. But note the response of the early church. They were ready to count their costs of being surrendered to the Lord Jesus, but their, their response was to stay completely surrendered and to praise the Lord. They lifted their voices in praise. They recognized the, the guilt of Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Romans, all those who had crucified Jesus, but behind it, they also recognized God's invisible hand that was working all things in this situation and about to for his goodwill. Finally, I'd like to consider what I would say would be the most important step in, in gaining boldness for the gospel, and that's prayerfulness. Uh, I really appreciate that Marshall mentioned that. Just yesterday, I was at a missions conference that was central, uh, the central theme of it is prayerfulness for the nations, and this is, we just can't emphasize how important this is for us as a church. Peter and, and John were praying with the other believers for a greater boldness. Let's join them in that. Peter and John also prayed over the new believers. They prayed for greater boldness. From verse 29 it says, Now, Lord, consider, the, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to hear and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In being bold and courageous for the gospel, it all starts with prayerful dependence on God by his Spirit. And in our prayers, we can also expect God answers them in his time, in his perfect timing, and often they are so miraculous and wonderful. And why are we surprised? We have a God that performs miracles. Let this be an encouragement for you to prioritize prayerfulness in your life. I guarantee you that 
behind every great and inspiring mission story or missionary biography that you've read, or success story of an unreached people group receiving the gospel and having a community of faith formed is a, a real, concerted, disciplined effort to pray. It's the lifeblood of missions. It's a li- it should be the lifeblood of our personal life with God and our church together as we meet. I think a practical step, um, two practical steps to for us to, to consider would be to join next week's prayer meeting um, that uh, is taking place before service. But also, I'm not sure if you realize that Southwest Evangelical Church has an unreached people group prayer meeting where we lift up our mission partners, but also UPGs that are on people's hearts as well. This is also a really great, great way for us to be linked more closely in relationship with our Bankstown brothers and sisters. And another way for you to just have a global perspective to see, wow, God is doing stuff out in the world that we, we should take note of. From what we can see at the end of the chapter in verse 31 is that the ultimate impact of coming together and praying was that the church went forward with boldness. The church was in, emboldened for the gospel in the face of their opposition because they recognized that in God's sovereignty, he has, um, we can be secure that he has our best interest in our mind and that he ultimately is in control, which is what we need to always keep in our minds as we think about missions in the Great Commission. He has things in control. In conclusion, today's passage we can see that the apostles were no longer the weak and fearful men who were hiding in the upper room. Something significant had changed, and we just walked through that chapter and saw what happened. They had received the new life that the gospel brings, and they fearlessly proclaimed the gospel's apostolic message. Christians have a new source of life too. We have that same source of life and wisdom when, they are made, when we are made anew in Christ. Because of security in God's ultimate power and control over all things, we too can be motivated to bring the gospel to this broken and sinful world. It is in this new hope, this new life in Christ that compels Christians to share the gospel with all to the praise and glory of Jesus. Hopefully this has challenged you and I'd encourage you all to stick around for church lunch and also to tap like myself or Marshall uh, on, the sh- on the shoulder if you're like, okay, um, I'm feeling led. What are the next steps if I want to walk forwards into um, the Great Commission? I'd, I'd really love for, to hear from you after service if that's you. Um, yeah, thanks so much.